Welcome. Bill Federer here. Pilgrim Governor William Bradford wrote, As one small candle may light a thousand, so the light here kindled hath shown unto many, yea, in some sort to our whole nation. In this episode of How We Got Here, we're going to look at how one teenager changed the world, affected the founding of America, and even affected the first speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. The story of this one small candle lighting a thousand occurred in the 1700s with a rich young ruler, Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. He was born in the year 1700 into a noble German family, with his ancestor being Maximilian I, the Holy Roman Emperor, from 1508 to 1519. When Nicholas was six weeks old, his father died. His mother remarried, and at the age of four, he was sent to live with his pietist Lutheran grandmother, Henrietta Katharina von Gerstorff. In 1719, at the age of 19, Zinzendorf went on his grand tour, a trip where young aristocrats made their first introductions to the royal courts of France and Netherlands and major German kingdoms. While on this tour in the city of Dusseldorf, Zinzendorf visited a museum where he viewed a painting of Domenico Fetti depicting Christ's sufferings. The painting titled Ichi Homo, Behold the Man, had a Latin caption underneath, which translated, is this I have suffered for you, now what will you do for me? Zinzendorf was moved in a profound way. Convicted in his heart by the Holy Spirit, he came to have an intensely personal faith in Christ, an experience which was part of a revival movement called Pietism. In 1722, at the age of 22, Count Zinzendorf opened up his estate, Bertelsdorf, Saxony, for persecuted Christians of Europe, who were displaced during the Thirty Years' War, to come and live together. People arrived from Moravia, Bohemia, the Czech Republic, and other areas, and they built on his estate, Herrenhut, which means the Lord's watchful care. This area of Bohemia had a Reformation history that can be traced back to John Huss in the 15th century. The religious refugees came to Zinzendorf's estate, but this Endeavor almost ended before it really began because they brought their religious doctrinal differences with them and they began to bicker and disagree. So the 27 year old Count Zinzendorf began a prayer meeting August 13th, 1727. They had communion service, they forgave each other. And this prayer meeting, they called the prayer watch, went on day after day, week after week. They took turns with the kids and the food and the farm. It went on month after month, year after year. That prayer meeting went on uninterrupted for over 100 years. Zinzendorf said, I have one passion, it is Jesus, Jesus only. More Moravian missionaries were sent out from that little Heron Hut community in the next 20 years than all of Christendom had in the previous 200. The Moravians were first sent the unordained. So they were not ordained by any college or university or seminary. They were just lay people, and they went onto the mission field, and they were given no financial support. Just a young couple that would feel like, we're supposed to go to India or, or Egypt, and they had to work and earn their own living. Most of these missionaries were young men and young women. Imagine today if the woke youth, instead of rioting and tearing things down, 
were risking their lives to go across oceans to share the love of Christ, to found orphanages and missions and schools and hospitals all around the world. They established hundreds of renewal groups, Heronhut-styled little settlements around the world, emphasizing personal prayer, worship, Bible study, confession of sins, communion, and mutual accountability. On May 3, 1728, Moravians began publishing a daily devotional, Lozungen, or Daily Watchwords, which went on to be translated into over 50 languages, and it is the oldest and most widely read daily devotional in the world. Moravians were the first large-scale Protestant missionary movement. They sent these young men and women, these missionaries, to Greenland, Canada, Alaska, Intuit, Labrador, to the West Indies, Costa Rica, Belize, Haiti, to the American Indians, Cherokee, Lenape, Mohican, Algonquin, to the northern shores of the Baltic, to the slaves of South Carolina, to the mosquito peoples of Nicaragua and Honduras, to the slaves of South America, Suriname, French Guiana, Peru, Tancobar, Nicobar, East Indies, Copts in Egypt, Northern India, Nepal, Kenya, Rwanda, Zanzibar, Uganda, Sierra Leone, Tanzania, Kivu, Katanga in the Dominican Republic, the west coast of Africa. The very first Moravian missionary story is quite interesting. It began with Johann Leonard Dober. A Christian film documents this in First Fruits, Zinzendorf and the Moravians, produced in 1982. Dober was apprenticing to be a potter with clay like his father, but at the age of 17, he visited this Heron Hut community and converted. On July 24, 1731, Dober heard Zinzendorf's plea for someone to reach the slaves on the Caribbean sugar plantations, recounting the testimony of Anthony Ulrich, a former slave from the Danish island of St. Thomas, which became a part of the U.S. Virgin Islands in 1917. This story was written about by Bonnie Bartonin in 1834 in her book, The Bow in the Cloud or The Negro's Memorial. She writes, in the course of a few weeks, the Negro Anthony himself arrived at Heronhut and confirmed at a public meeting that his oppressed countrymen in St. Thomas were worked hard by their masters, and that unless those who went to preach to them would consent to become slaves themselves and labor with the Negroes on the plantations, they would have little opportunity of communicating divine instruction to them. This intelligence did not, in the smallest degree, daunt the devoted young men. They were both ready not only to be bound, but to die for the Lord Jesus. They were willing to make any sacrifice which might be required if they could win but one soul to Christ, nay, if they might have the opportunity of carrying the news of salvation to Anthony's sister, a poor despised female slave. After a prayer meeting, August 20th, 1732, Zinzendorf blessed Johann Leonard Dober and carpenter David Nishman, who began then to travel to the Danish capital of Copenhagen to get permission to go to St. Thomas. Not having financial support from a church or a missionary sending organization, the King's Chamberlain, von Pletz, asked how they expected to live while evangelizing the slaves. Nishman replied, we shall work as slaves among the slaves. Von Pletz says, but that's impossible. It will not be allowed. No white man ever works as a slave. Nishman replied, I am a carpenter and I will ply my trade. But what will the potter do? 
he will help me in my work. If you go on like that, the dismayed Chamberlain replied, you will stand your ground the wide world over. They left Copenhagen October 8, 1732, and in two months arrived at St. Thomas, where they lived humbly and ministered to the slaves. Over the next 50 years, more Moravians arrived and established churches on St. Thomas, St. Croix, St. John's, Jamaica, Antigua, Barbados, St. Kitts, baptizing over 13,000 converts. Nishman undertook no less than 50 sea voyages and was particularly successful evangelizing among slaves and Native Americans. In 1740, Nishman found a mission near Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. On a trip back to Germany, David Nishman was elected a Moravian bishop. In 1735, he sailed for Georgia on a ship carrying the passengers John and Charles Wesley. There was a terrible storm. The Wesleys were panicking, and then they went to where the Moravians were, and they saw them just singing praise songs to Jesus. John Wesley was struck how they had a personal experience with Jesus. While others panicked in fear, the Moravians sang praise songs. This made a profound impression on the Wesleys. Charles Wesley was sent to Georgia as the secretary to the founder, James Oglethorpe. John Wesley was sent to Georgia to be the first Anglican minister at the settlement at St. Simon Island. The Wesley brothers failed in Georgia, returned to England, feeling defeated. They were invited to a Moravian prayer meeting at Aldersgate. John Wesley said, I went very unwillingly to a society meeting at Aldersgate. And then he said, as one was reading uh, the preface of Luther's epistle to the Romans and explaining the change which God wrought in the heart of those who had faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And he gave me an assurance that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley was touched by the Holy Spirit. His life was changed forever. And in 1738, John Wesley visited Heronhut, and he studied with the Moravians. He witnessed what he described the religion of the heart. And he comes back to England, and he says, faith is more than doctrine. You have to have an experience with Jesus. And he started the Methodist revival movement. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 sacred hymns. And through the Wesleys, this Moravian influence was felt by George Whitfield, who helped lead the Great Awakening Revival, preaching up and down the American colonies seven times. In 1741, Count Zinzendorf visited America, hoping to unify the various German Protestant churches in Pennsylvania. On Christmas Eve, 1941, Zinzendorf founded Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Moravians settled also in North Carolina, an area called Wachovia, after one of Count Zinzendorf's uh, ancestral estates on the Danube River. Zinzendorf's daughter, Beninga, organized a school which became Moravian College. Zinzendorf traveled with German Indian agent, interpreter Conrad Weiser, into the wilderness to share his face with Iroquois Indian chiefs, making Zinzendorf one of the few European noblemen to meet with Indians in their villages. Weiser's daughter, Anne-Marie, married a German minister, Henry Muhlenberg who was considered the main founder of the Lutheran Church in America. In 1742, Muhlenberg met Zinzendorf. Later that year, on December 12, 1742, Henry Muhlenberg became pastor of 50 German families in Old Trap Church in Pennsylvania. 1751, Muhlenberg received a land grant from the sons of William Penn, and on it he founded Trinity Lutheran Church in Reading, Pennsylvania. It was referred to by the Lutherans 
as their mother church. Out of, out of it was birthed numerous other Lutheran churches. Trinity Lutheran Church was used as a hospital during the Revolutionary War at the Battle of Brandywine, 1777. Muhlenberg was influenced by the pietist movement with Lutheranism, which stressed a personal relationship with Christ in addition to adhering to Orthodox doctrine. Pietism also had a political consequence, similar to today's separation of church and state. Whereas Calvinist Puritans believed God had a will for everything, including government, and it was a Christian's duty to put God's will in place, pietists, on the other hand, believed that when somebody believed in Christ, their life should change and they would not participate in worldly things, such as bars, theaters, and government. It was therefore a major step for Henry Muhlenberg's son, John Peter Muhlenberg, pastor of Emanuel Church in Woodstock, Virginia, to join General George Washington's army as a colonel with 300 men of his church forming the 8th Virginia Regiment. John Peter Muhlenberg was promoted to Major General in the Continental Army, then elected to Congress and Senate. Muhlenberg's other son, Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg, was pastor of a Lutheran congregation in New York. Frederick Muhlenberg became active in the Revolution and afterwards was elected to U.S. Congress and was elected the first Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. Both John Peter and Frederick were members of the first session of the U.S. Congress, which passed 12 amendments limiting the power of the federal government, with both of them being ordained ministers. It is obvious they did not think the purpose of the First Amendment was to keep pastors out of politics. Only 10 of the amendments were ratified by the states. There are two signatures on the Bill of Rights, Vice President John Adams, who was the President of the Senate, and Speaker of the House, Frederick Augustus Muhlenberg, Lutheran pastor. Pastor Henry Muhlenberg wrote of General George Washington at Valley Forge in the notebook of a colonial clergyman. I heard a fine example today, namely His Excellency General Washington rode around among his army yesterday and admonished each to fear God, to put away wickedness and to practice Christian virtues. Muhlenberg continued, from all appearances, General Washington does not belong to the so-called world of society. For he respects God's word, believes in the atonement through Christ, and bears himself in humility and gentleness. Therefore, the Lord God has also singularly, yea, marvelously, preserved him from harm in the midst of countless perils, ambuscades, fatigues, etc., and has hitherto graciously held him in his hand as a chosen vessel. The father of Frederick and John Peter, Pastor Henry Muhlenberg, died October 7, 1787. As one small candle may light a thousand, Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf, the Moravian missionary, whose life changed when he was a teenager, influenced the pietist Lutherans and had a profound impact on the founding of America, the Great Awakening Revival, and the missionaries that were sent all around the world. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of How We Got Here. God bless you.